Suits and Sanders is a leadership and legacy podcast that seeks to address the key leadership issues in business, government, and personal or self-leadership. Our objective is to raise the awareness of the crucial role leadership plays in almost every tangible achievement of personal and institutional goals. At the core of our mission, we believe every person is born with a special gift to lead an impactful life and to massively contribute towards the success of the nation and our posterity. The name Suits and Sanders reminds us that great leaders are first servants. So we believe you're going to massively be impacted with the content we'll bring you and we hope that you're going to maximize your potential with the objective of maximizing your contribution to the nation but above all to leave an impact on this generation and to the entire posterity so join us on this journey welcome to suits and sandals your leadership and legacy podcast today i'm hosting gavayila chatata she is the co-founder and managing director of Tantwe Farms and she's also the immediate past president of the Lilongwe Horticultural Farmers Cooperative. Ngavayila is a well-known leading Malawian horticulturalist and agripreneur and she has a strong passion for the youth and women, especially for them to take up agriculture as a business. Welcome, Ngavayila. Thank you so much, Moses. It's a great delight that you are formally on the podcast. It's been a long time chasing you and you're doing amazing stuff in the agripreneurial sector and uh, sphere of business in Malawi and beyond. I'm inspired by your work and most people are inspired by what you're doing and especially your quest to also inspire the youthful population of Malawi to follow the agripreneurial path. But when it comes to what you do, how do you define it? Is it just a passion? How did you land in agripreneurship? Were you born in it or you just discovered the passion on the way? Thank you so much, Moses. It's an honor to be in a position where you inspire others, especially the youth and women. The agripreneurship journey for me is something that I have discovered. But looking back, I was inspired by my mom, who was always growing something around our compound. And also sometimes I accompanied my grandmother where she was mm. taking the vegetables to sell around uh, the communities. That was in Limbi. So we were living in Mudadmak and would go to Kanjeta. And uh, so I would be carrying a small basket along my grandmother. So pretty much I grew in a family that entrepreneurship was being practiced, of course, at a small scale. And it was being practiced in a way that I found myself participating. Uh, the, my mom would always tag us along in her entrepreneurship quest. Uh, like she also was doing um, like embroidery which she taught us very early and she was paying us when we were helping in that business. So pretty much it's been a, a self-discovery journey, but at the mm. same time, I think coming to growing up or and becoming a sociologist meant that I started working with people and development becomes another theme that I picked. So a mix of all that has built up the entrepreneur that I am today. Wow, wow, that's very inspiring. And looking at Tantra Farms, it's uh, becoming a household name and already a household name. You are producing uh, massive and inspiring products and especially your packaging. I love your packaging. And if we look at what you're doing now with the farm, <laughs> that uh, you have a very powerful partner who's your husband. 
what is your vision beyond Tantra Farms and in whatever initiatives that you're in? What is your vision? Uh, it's been a journey. Uh, when we started our vision that we've set up and it's still the vision is to see Malawi being able to export high value agricultural products and in pursuing that vision, as you rightly said, uh, we uh, created Tantra. And then it's uh, from Tantra Enterprises, now we call Tantra Farms. And where we have grown from cultivating on a quarter acre, it's been a, a process of learning and redefining ourselves, reinventing ourselves. So now we are in, indeed into agro-processing where we are value adding locally grown products such as hibiscus and making uh, hibiscus tea bags, hibiscus powder, hibiscus juice, hibiscus jam. And the aim there is in line with the vision is to open markets for Malawian products. You know, sometimes we don't see the value of what we have as Malawi. You know, mm. Malawi has very rich source and it has diversified uh, produce but I think it's in the space of uh, value addition that we haven't invested much and we are making a footprint there. But also beyond that, we are doing uh, business incubation. We see that from our lessons, the lessons that we've gathered through our entrepreneurship journey, we've seen that sometimes it's just that people just need that inspiration and just need mm. someone who can hold their hand. And for that, have purpose to reach out to the youth and also the smallholder farmers, because they, they are basically hardworking people, but True. it's just that uh, they don't have the support that they need to get them to be active participants in their market. And beyond that, we are also promoting climate smart technologies. You know, climate change is a big issue. True. So we are promoting climate smart technologies such as greenhouse, essentially to enhance productivity. You've actually mentioned something to do with um the fabric of the Malawian society and how our economy is built up and people's perceptions on agriculture. And being one of the pioneers definitely are curving a path where we've seen you starting with, as you said, a quarter acre farm and growing that and sustainably so, and being able to survive the perils of area entrepreneurship journeys. You know, and you've curved your own path pretty much and inspiring multitudes. What are some of the notable challenges combined with successes that you've experienced along the way? That someone who's starting uh, their own farm in Kalieka, in Rumpi, in Kalonga, in Sanje, they would actually learn from? Yeah, it's been an amazing journey. Of course, yes, not very straightforward and not without challenges. Uh, one of the biggest challenge has been access to markets. And uh, yeah, you agree with me that the horticultural value chain is not structured as such, such that for the buyers that are buying from you, you, actually you are at the mercy of the buyers. And then you, we get seasons that uh, you have produce uh, that is oversupplied. And then you also get seasons that are not properly supplied. But I also want mm. to highlight quickly on the issue of finance, the cost of financing in Malawi, it's very high. Of course, there's been efforts to reduce, but still it's very high. And then you also get the mindset of the players in the financing sector itself. We have a mm. long way to go in terms of how they have positioned themselves to catalyze the success of the agribusiness value chain. They have a perception that it's a risky area and also they haven't positioned themselves to see how best they can catalyze. I think they lack the understanding of a partnership approach. 
So for me, yeah. those are some of the things that we've suffered. We've really had to raise funds mostly through our savings and where we have had grants, it's mostly been matching grants, which I like because they help you also to be responsive. But then it means that the matching side, you have to source it from the commercial banks, which mm, are, are mm. have that mindset where they don't really understand how does uh, the business work in the agricultural value chain. I think they're used to trading and like to the agricultural cycle. So on the other hand, we've still managed to push in the way that from farming now, I'm talking of a number of portfolios within the business. So mm. it's a matter of, as you face those challenges, how do you maneuver and how do you position yourself so that at the end of the day, you still have a winning situation. It's um, an issue of resilience. It's an issue of being able to adapt and refocus. Yeah. So I would say that beyond the challenges, there's um, light at the end of the tunnel and I would still stand and encourage others to get into the value chain. It can be rewarding if you work hard. Brilliant. So inspiring. And uh, thank you for those pointers uh, towards the financial institutions and government support. Because someone who's just starting off as a young farmer who only has an acre or less, they would say uh, they never get a return. And most, most of the times, the stories that you hear, people put in a lot of money and either they break even if they're lucky or otherwise they burn their hands. And if, if I may call it that, so they bend their hands and they've learned, but they're discouraged to go back and try again. If someone is uh, really passionate about agripreneurship, but they've burnt their hands several times, what would be your message to them? What would be the inspiration point to see them back on the farm and doing what they ought to do based on their passion? You've made me reflect on how I've maneuvered. It's not that, as I say, it's not that we didn't meet challenges. We've met them. But I think the issue lies in being able to reflect and be, being honest with yourself. And um, instead of blaming, own up to the mistakes that you've made and then come up with a game plan on how you're going to move forward. There's a saying that goes that if you blame, you lose the power to change. And uh, what I've seen mostly is that we are very quick at pointing fingers at others. But sometimes it's also about how did we even start? Were we just motivated by people that said, oh, I made a lot of money from selling um, fresh means. Did you really mm. sit down critically and look at where are the risks and how do you manage them? This is what we are doing with the incubation program. Most of the agripreneurs get into these uh, businesses because they know how to grow tomato. But when you, you start growing tomato, you realize that you have to understand the cash flows. How do money move within your business? You also mm. need to understand um, the marketing. Where are you going to sell? So before you even start to put the seed in the soil, have you really mapped out the whole game plan? Do you know where to sell? Because I get a lot of people that call and say, oh, by the way, I've grown this. I want market. I think that's not the way to do business. But it's also not about quick wins. Sometimes you have to sell even at the local market at the lowest price. So you look at the viability of the business and then you venture into it. You don't venture and then start thinking about where do I sell? Is it viable? How much do I sell? Oh, that, that's very important. Quite deep insights there. Now, the, the story that's uh, on the street is about the recently launched Malawi 2063 vision. 
which presents agricultural productivity and commercialization under their pillar one of this national vision. Unfortunately, when such a big document has been published, it's not many people who go and read. And unfortunately, this includes entrepreneurs. They don't either have time, they don't have access, or they will just give excuses that they cannot open this big document. And yet it impacts our today and our next uh, 40 years plus, right? What do you think and what do you believe are the main discussion points under the first pillar? So specifically because it refers to agriculture and agripreneurship and referring to your own practical experience, which areas do you believe would provide the nation with quick wins towards the optimal realization of the agricultural vision? Yeah, thank you. I, I mean, I was very excited to see that they've actually put it as the first pillar, meaning that it reflects how uh, the government is prioritizing agricultural commercialization. So the main areas that Vision 2063 is promoting is actually in, in the sense of agricultural commercialization, it's about productivity, agricultural commercialization itself, optimum neutralization of land, climate smart and resilient agriculture. As I say, this is also at the center of what we're doing. So these are some of the things that we need to look at very closely, as well as the diversification of the agricultural sector. Uh, so if you are someone who is interested to uh, get into the agricultural value chain, you actually have to pay close attention to understand what is being promoted, even the reasoning behind why they're promoting agricultural commercialization is very interesting. And indeed, they've really touched on the need to promote irrigation, the need um, to stop depending on uh, tobacco. I think those are bo very bold statements, so realizing how it's uh, coming from a, a largely tobacco-dependent uh, economy. For me, where I think we're still missing it, it's very assumed in the sense that the role of medium-scale commercial farmers I think the government need to be very bold and come out very clearly. I'm not saying we should take our eyes off the smallholder farmer, but there is that missing middle because unless we engage the uh, medium scale commercial farmers who are very critical because we've seen the rising of the medium scale commercial farmers in the recent years and how is the government going to harness their presence and ensure that they are going to be participating. Of course, there's a, a mention of, yeah, we shall sub, do subsidy where the uh, anchor farms, but mm. the, the document doesn't say who, what are the types of anchor farmers, because we can easily fall into the usual trap where the support is only going to either smallholder farmers or big commercial farmers. But True. if we don't get, if we're talking of, the vision is talking of creating a middle income. The middle income is actually this missing middle. If now you flip it on the side of the agricultural value chain, how is the government going to uh, facilitate their access to financing? As I told you, the financing uh, sector needs to reposition itself and needs to think how it's going to participate. So if these uh, middle size or middle commercial farmers are not supported, the system is not supporting them. We can as well forget the, this movement, or we are just going to create another big disparity between uh, the, the citizens of Malawi. And then I also wanted to uh, bring to your attention that 
I really believe in the fact that it's going to be agriculture that is going to catalyze industrialization. There is need for a very good focus on this value chain. And then I like the fact that they focus on the young people to involve them in making agriculture more attractive for the young people. This is what we need to do. But then the issue is how are we doing that? Because yeah. the young people are either smallholder farmers or they are just startups. So how are we focusing on building their capacity? That's why we need also the concept of business incubation to be very strong because they are going to need some handholding. They need some inspiration because our education system, let's not forget where we're coming from, yeah. says you are going to get educated and become an officer. So who is going to help these young people to actually start appreciating that there's also a career path within the agricultural value chain? That's the reason that I've put my life purpose to inspire young people and women to take agriculture as a business. That's very insightful and, and critically, critically important, if we're going to use that double word. And thinking of um, how many... Uh, youths actually want to get into agriculture. There's been also other sentiments on the street that maybe it's better for most of these young people to uh, form their own cooperatives because we see cooperatives commonly um, blossoming in the rural areas where you have all these mamas coming together and, for example, they are doing coffee or they want to do cotton. But when you come into the cities, you don't really see that eco vibe among the young people. Everyone pretty much, they may want to curve their own path, but they don't have adequate resources. They don't have the experience. And as you've also rightly said, they don't have mentors. So uh, if we have to combine that mentorship, the support systems and partnerships, is partnerships something that you've uh, seen working in Malawi, specifically in agripreneurship, is this something that the youth can also target to say, can we come together and do something together? Is this something that is workable in the immediate term? Um, I would say that not in the immediate, but in the medium. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I saying that? Um, well, well, when we look at cooperatives, you've rightly said cooperatives have worked more into in the village settings. And critically, let's go and look at the model of cooperatives that has been promoted. It's been uh, just beyond association, mostly. Mm -hmm. So an association is a gathering. A cooperative is supposed to be a business institution that mm -hmm. is actually established to run a business. Because of the socialist approach, mm -hmm. that takes me to my <laughs> me being an extension worker. Because of the socialist approach that we have applied, uh, there is a confusion in terms of understanding of what a cooperative should be doing. A cooperative should be operating like Adma in its true sense, where it's able to run as a business. But you'd see that we are lacking that. Of course, there have been a few that are, are coming up. And really, like Lilongo Agricultural Farmers Cooperative, it's making strides, but it's been a learning process. There's also another cooperative on housing that has just come up. It's really making strides. So our youth need such models so that they can set up cooperatives that are businesses, not cooperatives that are associations. It's not about how many people you members you have. It's about what business are you doing and how much money are you able to make together. I believe in partnerships. 
because with partnerships, you bring together different skills, but there's also work that has to be done to change our mindset uh, from an mm. individualistic approach to understanding of what it takes to be in a partnership. There's need for the extension service that is going to come out and really create awareness on how partnerships work and how we can make the most of partnerships. It's also aligned to the SDGs. So it's really something that we need to advance, but it yeah. needs to be done properly. It needs to be done with understanding so that we can make the most of it. That's so true. I hope the inspired youths are actually listening and tapping from this deep wisdom. Uh, Moses, yeah. let me let me mention this. This is a concept in sociology, the free rider dilemma. Free rider dilemma. Free rider dilemma. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's say social work. Like, let's make a road. You find that in the village, those roads are mostly used by people that are coming from town and coming in. But who fixes the roads? It's the people that mm-hmm. are in the village. So sometimes the people in the village will protest to say, we're not going to fix this road because they don't see the direct benefit. So what I'm also saying is, even in this cooperative, there are a lot of people that are coming in because of this mentality of just association. People want to benefit at the end of the whatever comes up, but not many people want to put in their effort, their skills and all that. So but then this whole thing is coming from lack of, of understanding of what a partnership means. Mm. No, so true. So true. I think there's lots of uh, unlearning and relearning that's actually required Mm -hmm. our societies and business setups. Now, for the government and even the common citizenry, people actually do believe and it resonates that agriculture remains a powerhouse. However, some people actually believe that the government can do better in restricting the importation of common foodstuffs. Like people complain on social media, Facebook, uh, why the government is allowing uh, retailers to import meat or, uh, or horticultural products, right? And people say, if we ban this or we put heavy excise tax, we are, we are going to be promoting local produce. If such actions can happen, do you believe the aggregate production, the total production of any food component is sufficient to meet the growing local demand? And if it's not adequate, are there any ways the government or huge retailers can organize our farmers, local farmers, to maximize productivity beyond the technical areas discussed in this discussion? You know what? Uh, The thing is, for everything to happen, there has to be joint effort. Yes, the mm. government has responsibility, but the citizenry also has its responsibility. And also to expect that the food retailers will play the role of organizing farmers, that's also asking for too much. The food, mm. Their role should be to open the markets. The food retailers have to open the markets for the local farmers. But local farmers need to be willing to organize themselves and they need to be willing to work hard because as you, you put it, are, are we going to be able to supply? The answer is yes and no. Yes, producers are motivated to produce when they see that there's a market. Let's not forget that. Mm. So if we, we are assured of the market, then we are ready to start producing because who wants to produce and then be a victim of post service losses? Because if you're having post service losses, you're essentially losing your money. But at the mm. same time, the challenge that I find is that we don't want to sit together and map out a plan where each one of us, the farmer, 
the government and the market, we all take responsibility for where we are best placed to pray our law. So it's, mm. it, it then becomes a brain game. The buyer says, oh, you can't, you're not meeting our demands. The government says, oh, no, if we stop this, then what are people going to be eating? Then the, the producer is also saying you're all not opening markets. It's going mm -hmm. to take all the three taking their responsibility and marking out a clear plan and then owning up to that plan. I don't think it's supposed to be an abrupt stopping of importation, but yeah. let's draw a plan and say, over the next six months, I would expect that at least cabbages will be ready. So then the growers also plan, but it's not a straightforward process. It's uh, going to take humbleness. It's going to take a lot of learning. It's going to take accommodating each other. But then at the end of the day, the government has to read. That's so true. That's so true. And now thinking of, um, I'm very cautious, of course, of your time. And um, I just want to address two more issues. Uh, looking at... Uh... Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you so much. Looking at uh, the production sometimes that we think is actually adequate production. For example, if I have to drive along Machinga, I would see all these mangoes that are pretty much everywhere. You know, they're just falling. And if they're not picked for, for street sales, they'll basically rot. If I go to Tangano, I'll see all these Irish potatoes, the tomatoes, the onions. And some people have said, it's not an issue of productivity. Like there's massive production in the rural areas, but it's an issue of facilitating distribution channels in the downstream. So the farmers have done their job, but they'll, they'll be stuck in Tsangano until someone as an intermediary identifies them and provides the conduit for them to come to the cities or for them to move into factories where people can package these uh, or mm. process these raw materials. So do you think with the current production levels, if indeed we had to build proper networks, logistics networks, would actually have sufficient food in Malawi? I would say yes, uh, but at the same time, it's beyond the logistics. You know what? When you start to get into the formal value chains, the issue of standards step in. Okay. So the issue is who is going to take responsibility or to ensure that the food that is being bought from the smallholder farmer on the roads is actually safe for consumption. That's another big elephant in the room. That's why the institutions like Malawi Bureau of Standards have a very critical role to play in terms of how we open markets. But at the same time, the extension service has to step in. Are we growing for markets? That's the key question that we have. Yes, we are producing, but are we producing for markets? Because then it means that our extension service has to ensure that our farmers understand the standards. How are they spraying their crops? What chemicals are they putting in? Are they observing the basic standards that they withdraw periods? Or are we having, because we also hear stories of these tomatoes are being sprayed chemicals actually whilst they're already on the market. So it's mm. going to take a lot of awareness because at the end of the day, if the supermarket or if a buyer gets that and then some client or a customer is affected and they complain, how are they going to track that? And then at the same time, for me, the most frustrating thing, I think, is the farmers are working hard, but there's a miss, this missing middle as well. Mm. Uh, much as maybe there's an issue of we are not thought about 
when the government is making policies, but also sometimes we haven't stepped up to play the role that we, the catalytic role that we are supposed to play. So you find that we are more interested in being in the offices because it's hard work to do these things. Mm. And people are not willing. That's why the government has to de-risk the entrepreneurship efforts. If they see that there's some people that are coming up, we need the government to step in and in the spirit of encouraging, de-risk some of the processes so that I don't have to suffer that much because essentially I'm playing a role that the government should have played. So there are all those issues that we need to look into if we are going to really solve the problem. Otherwise, we continue to see the mangoes getting rotten, the tomatoes getting rotten, and then we get frustrated farmers. And then the next day, the, the production sector is disrupted. It's a system mm. that has to be dealt with, and it has to be done very systematically. And you have to look at all the players, the whole value chain. Well said. And uh, looking at our education institutions, some people say, we have lots of uh, qualified either professors or just graduates who have walked the corridors of uh, Bunda Agriculture or the corridors of uh, Luana. There will be two questions here that do you believe we have adequate institutions that actually teach not just agriculture, but agripreneurship? And why do we not have incentives where most of the people who come out of these institutions would, should be seen to go on to establish agripreneurship ventures and be able to actually optimize the production capacity of our agricultural industry. Is, is there anything better that can be done to make sure that uh, either the students, the post-grads are actually incentivized to get into this domain? Or is it an issue of we need more institutions or we need better programs, we need better exposure like, why have we not really optimized this, uh, this area? Um, the issue of do we have institutions? I think the institutions are enough, but the issue is the curriculum. What curriculum oh. are we using and how are we building the, the students or the, basically the students going through the universities, our universities, our agriculture universities, even the non-agriculture universities. I think, the, as I said in the first place, our education system has been focused on building managers, building executives. I think we have missed out on the practicality, but I think it's coming up. The role of business incubators and how we have also seen like Luana and Must are integrating even the concept of business incubation within their system. So that even as they give them the knowledge, the theoretical knowledge, they are also being given a chance to practice. So that's where we, we have been missing and that's where the election that we have to take. Unfortunately, we have done that for a long time. So it's going to take some time for things to change because at the same time, you see that the managers of the investors are the same people that have been having so much of academic bias. So mm. we need to change their mindset and so that they can change the policies and then, but there's a, a group that is coming up and they're starting to see things differently. But at the same time, because I work with the youth, mm. the youth are not sitting, they are rising up. And this, for me, this is the hope that we have for the nation. And it's also very encouraging that even when you talk about the vision 2063 has also had so much emphasis on the youth. Let's invest in the youth and let's uh, give them the entrepreneurship skills so that they can change the future. As for some of us that have already 
that mindset. We can just contribute by supporting that environment. And mm. yeah, let's see what the next five to 10 years holds for us. But I, I have hope in the youth. Wow. Thank you so much, Dalila, for honoring the invitation to speak on uh, Suits and Sanders podcasts. I take it as a great privilege that you're here. And thank you so much for the deep insights, the deep wisdom experience that you've shared with our audience. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be here. And really, uh, the topic of discussion is something that's close to my heart. And I'm glad that we've had this chat. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the episode and thank you for being a great audience on Suits and Sanders. To ensure we reach a wider audience, please like the podcast and share with your network. Until next time, it's goodbye.